Well, good morning, church. Last Sunday, we had a great chance, if you recall, to have a different kind of service and celebrate a lot of memberships with, I think, more in the pipeline coming down the road soon. But man, a beautiful reminder of membership at Grace Baptist Church, a, a call to submit ourselves and to commit ourselves to oversee and be overseen in our discipleship. That's, that's the heart of church membership. We would commit ourselves to oversee and be overseen in our discipleship. And that's true for our local church and churches around the world because churches are made up of people who recognize who Jesus is and then say, I'm going to submit my life to you as king. You are my king. Now, while we as Americans are not as familiar with monarchy, in fact, we fought a war to avoid monarchy, uh, we want to recognize this. The kingdom of God is ruled by King Jesus. That's reality. King Jesus is king of all, and we are his subjects gladly submitting to his authority. Last few weeks, in Matthew 1 and 2 and 3 and 4, we asked the question, who is Jesus? Kept showing throughout those chapters, man, he is the Davidic king, he's the Messiah, he's the new and better Adam, he's the new and better Israel, all these things. And by the end of chapter 4, like Jesus called Peter and Andrew and James and John, he's saying to all of us, follow me, follow me. And those who know Jesus have said, man, I'm following you. And those who in this room have not yet done so, can I invite you right now in the introduction of the sermon to repent of sin and turn to Jesus and follow him by faith. That's the call in our lives today. He wants all to follow him and he is worthy of being followed. All right, so he teaches, and we'll see in Matthew 5 now and 6 and 7, chapters that are often referred to as the Sermon on the Mount, he's going to refer a lot to this idea of the kingdom of God and what it means to live as kingdom citizens of his. So I want to ask first off, what is the kingdom of God? We're going to hear about it a lot in Matthew 5 and 6 and 7 and 8 and 10 and 13 and, and beyond. Hear it a lot of times. So, so what is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God, simply put, is this. It is God's people in God's place under God's rule. That, that's God's kingdom right there is God's people in God's place under God's rule. And to say as well, this kingdom is already begun. It's already inaugurated. It's started, but it's not yet fully here. So again, it started, it began in Jesus' day. Salvation is now available to us. The Spirit indwells God's people, but it ain't fully here because there's a day coming. Revelation 21 says, with no more sickness, sorrow, pain, or death. And we are not there yet, friends. That day is coming. That's why we pray, Jesus, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So it's already not yet thing. It's like this. I was, man, eight, over eight years ago now, hired at Cedarville University. I got a phone call late in the summer. From that first phone call to my first day in class, there was like 16 days. 
It was a very short window of time. Got a phone call, did all these interviews over the phone with various people, and in the, like a week and a half later, the president, the vice president, and the dean had all signed off to say, Jeremy Kimball is an employee of Cedarville University. Great. So one day I came in, very soon classes were starting, and I have a username and password to log into my computer. I put it in, invalid. Put it in again, invalid. Over and over and over. I made some phone calls and eventually call uh, Human Resources. I didn't know him then, but now my, my dear friend, John Davis, uh, said to me, hey, uh, you, are not, you can't log in because you are not officially an employee of Cedarville. Au contraire. Right? I'm like, wait a second. I got signatures. President, vice president, dean. I got what I need right there. To which he said, yes, Jeremy, but uh, you've not yet, you've had your background check is not yet cleared. So until that background check clears, you cannot be officially an employee of the university. To which I said, would it be helpful to you if I told you I've never committed a crime? <laughs> it, it was not, apparently. Uh, not official enough, I guess. So I had to wait. And it cleared the night before classes began for me. So it did clear. I just want you all to know that. It did, did clear. But here's the thing. John Davis is saying, look, you, you're, you're already part of the Cedarville thing, but you will not receive the full benefits, real, literally, uh, until this all goes through. Friends, we're already part of this kingdom of God. We're already having some of the benefits there, but there are immeasurable, fuller benefits to come when Christ returns. But in this time, Jesus is saying, hey, the kingdom is starting what do kingdom citizens look like? How do they live? What are they known by? This is a picture of that very things. These teachings in Matthew 5 and 6 and 7 describe what life will look like for disciples of Jesus following after him. And guess what? It looks radically different from the world. Radically different. We as Christians are going to be different. The world's going to think us strange in many ways. We are sojourners and strangers in the world, First Peter says. So I want to say to us, embrace being different. Embrace the strange. Because the world's going to see us that way. These chapters offer a stark alternative to what the world considers to be the good life. This is a call on our lives. So main, main point from this passage is this. Disciples of Jesus are truly blessed and give hope to the world. Followers of Jesus, disciples of Jesus are truly, they're actually really blessed and give hope to the world. Now, before I go on, I want to just say this really quick. This, this text, in studying this, some texts they, they get into your heart in ways that are really convicting. Man, and, and reading this text again and again, seeing these, these qualities we see here, I recognize, man, I have room to grow. Oh, my. I, I look around, friends, at, at headlines sometimes of pastors and ministry leaders that are out of ministry now because of choices they've made that were terrible, horrible choices, and I get cynical, and I get frustrated, and I'm like, man, Lord, what is going on here? 
I think of these qualities and say, man, we're nowhere near this sometimes. And then I was standing with two friends of mine Thursday. I was, I was conveying this. And one friend said, yeah, but isn't it so amazing that in our ABF, which is next door right now, my ABF, uh, like this person is embodying meekness. And oh, that person, the purity of heart they have and the way they're a peacemaker. We started going through people, names of people in this church. And the way we see the Spirit of God working in people here in these kinds of ways. And I was so encouraged. I was just so encouraged by the fact that God is real. God is alive. His Word is powerful. His Spirit is powerful. And He is shaping people to be kingdom citizens. I'm just so encouraged by that. So as we move forward here, I just want to convey that to us to be these people by God's grace so first blessing looks different than what the world says it's our first point here blessing looks different than what the world says the world's got a version of blessing and we have a different one so Matthew 5 verse 1 seeing the crowds he went up on the mountain and when he sat down his disciples came to him now really quick in verse 1 Jesus goes on the mountain to give this authoritative teaching. This should draw our minds to another biblical figure. Someone else went up on a mountain and received teaching and gave it to the people. His name was Moses. In fact, Jesus will quote Moses a lot starting next Sunday as you read through this text. And so you see, he's he's a new and and better Moses in that way as well, giving this teaching uh, to us in authoritative fashion. And note uh, he sees crowds, and he goes to the mountain, and the disciples come to him, and he teaches them. There's disciples there, I'm sure the crowds there as well, but his, his teaching is aimed at people who've said, yes, Jesus, I will follow you. I want to turn from sin and follow you. So this teaching is for believers who are living in the inauguration of the kingdom of God waiting for the new creation that's the call here how do we live as disciples of jesus and he's going to tell us in these phrases here called the beatitudes which comes from a latin term that means blessed which we'll talk about here as we go but just hear these words in verse two he opened his mouth and taught them saying blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were for you. 
So eight times, essentially if you combine 10 to 12, verses 10 to 12 there, eight times Jesus declares a certain kind of people with a certain kind of character are blessed. That's followed by a reason or a result for why they should see themselves as blessed. Verses 3 and 11 state the reason and result in the present tense, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then verses 4 to 9 say the reason and the result in the future tense. They shall be comforted, for example. This signifies, this is important, this signifies that people who are kingdom citizens, who are followers of Jesus, recognize the kingdom is inaugurated. Yes, salvation, the Holy Spirit indwelling us, yes, all those things, but much of the glory, much of the reward comes later. Much of the reward, much of what we get with Christ, the glory comes later. It comes in the future. This is your best life later. If you know what I'm saying. This is the deal. It's not, hey, do this, and in this life you'll be famous, popular, well-known. That's not, that's not the version here. He's looking to the future. So that's key to note. Also, how do you define the word blessed? What does the word blessed mean? Well, the word, just simply, that word means to be fortunate or happy. But that's strange as you couple it with some of these things listed here. Happy are those who mourn. That's, that's strange. That's weird. We don't often think of that in that kind of way. Blessing is a declaration of God's favor. And, and there's joy to be found in my relationship to him. So more specifically, say this way, blessing is a state of well-being in relationship to God because of his grace. This is key, friends. Blessing is a state of well-being in my relationship, in our relationship to God because of his grace to us. That is not the version of the world's blessing many times. That's the Christian version we see here. While we may suffer and lack in this life, we are truly blessed. Why? We know the living God. We're in right relationship with the living God. We trust that in the future, our hope is secure in Christ. That's how we're blessed. These are not the values of the world. The world's looking to gain what they can in this life. But God gets to define blessing. That's his prerogative. And this is just countercultural. Blessing is not just about getting rich, getting more, being comfortable. Say it again. Blessing is not just about getting rich, getting more, and being comfortable. And yet, there are many times in my life when I get more and I'm comfortable that I think, man, I'm blessed. So maybe it'd be helpful to contrast these beatitudes Jesus gives here with a worldly rendition. These are not original to me. Uh, I found these elsewhere, so I, I take no credit here. I'm just, I think they're helpful to contrast. How might the world think of blessing? 
Because Jesus says, here's what blessing is, but the world might say it something like this instead. They may say something like this. Blessed are the entitled, for they grab what they want. The entitled. Could be at a job, it could be in parenting, working toward the entitlement of a child. Blessed are the carefree, for they shall be comfortable. Carefree, sounds like suburban, rural America in many ways. Blessed are the aggressive, for they shall win. Blessed are the greedy, for they shall get more and more. By the way, we might say, I'm not greedy, I'm just a saver. Listen, greed can manifest in both my need for security or stuff. Blessed are the vengeful, for they shall be feared. Blessed are those who don't get caught, for they shall look good. Blessed are the argumentative, for they shall get in the last word. If you're anything like me, you need to hear that one. Blessed are the popular, for this world is at their feet. Here's the issue. I can read that list and say, yeah, that's not Jesus' list. Got it. The problem is my heart can go there. I want things in this life. I want to be comfortable now. I want my way now. I want to say the last word now. I want to be known. Maybe that's just me. But I'm guessing not. Our hearts can tend away from the call that Jesus puts out there towards something else. But Jesus is calling for disciples who are characterized by suffering for the sake of the gospel, for meekness, for hunger, for righteousness, mercy, purity, and peaceableness. The world craves power and self-promotion. How easy is self-promotion today? It's so easy to get on the web and make yourself known somehow by various means. And Jesus calls for humility and service. I missed potential, potential loss in this life. Man, there's a moment in Matthew 20 where a mother of adult men, James and John, says, Jesus, can you give my sons a little something-something? Can you give them, like, this spot at your right and left hand in your kingdom to be seen and known? Because you're, you're the great one, but ooh, as they look at you, their peripheral would see James and John. And Jesus is like, yeah, yeah, this is not going to work out well. Um, and the other ten are angry. Perhaps angry because, like, I should have thought of that. <laughs> and Jesus says, no, 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 wait, 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 time out, time out, time out. The whole kingdom of God thing, listen, the greatest among you in this kingdom will be your servant. That's not how it works in the world. That is how it works in Jesus' kingdom. So, let's look at these Beatitudes briefly here and just describe what, what this means. So, poor in spirit. Someone who's humble, contrite, 
trembles at God's word. That's Isaiah 6, 6, 1 and 2. It's humble, contrite, tremble at God's word. They recognize, man, I can't merit any favor before God. I'm coming for you, God, humbly. I need you. This person is poor in spirit, both in conversion and all throughout their life. They're not, they realize, I'm never going to impress God. I'm going to live before him in humility and love. Blessed are those who mourn. Sounds like James 4, 9. I preached James 4 a while back here at Grace, and James says there in that verse, be wretched and mourn and weep. Thank you, James. But even here, it's like, okay, bless those who mourn. Mourn over my sin. Mourn over the state of this world and say, oh, Lord, I, I am praying. I'm mourning over what's true of my heart too often, true of this world would your kingdom please come and make all things right? And Jesus says, hey, your day of comfort is coming. It's coming. Blessed are the meek. I think this thing is drawn from Psalm 37, 11. And in that Psalm, Psalm 37, the context there is looking and saying, man, the wicked prosper. I'm not. What's going on here? And God says, look, the wicked will undergo one day the wrath of God. That's true. You be meek. The meek, the gentle, in other words, man, they don't look impressive. They don't dominate. Further their agendas and their own strength, they trust God to act on their behalf. They're a gentle, mild people who trust God to do what he does in their lives. They may look weak, and Jesus says, you will inherit the world. The meek. Give you an example. Yesterday, I, I, I have the distinct privilege of coaching U12 soccer. Oh my, it's so fun. So I got 15 players, 13 young men, two young ladies on that team. I love them all. I love them. And uh, I saw yesterday, this player was in the last service. Saw yesterday, moment of playing soccer, uh, my player, another player collided, going for the ball. And uh, the ball got kicked away, went source in the field, they got up. My player turned to the opposing player and just said, are you okay? The player said, yeah, I'm fine. And just patted it on the back and said, okay. And then just, they ran off. Now, most people wouldn't notice that, number one. If they did notice it, they may say, you don't talk to a competitor during a game. You dominate a competitor. And I just looked at that and I thought, that is a meek, gentle soul caring for others. And even there in that arena, Christians look different. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, people who long to know God and see that knowledge exercised in pursuing what's right, living in obedience to him. The merciful, hey, Exodus 34, God is merciful and gracious, slow to uh, anger and abounding in steadfast love. Amen? Come on, people. Amen? Amen? That's good. I'm just saying, because if that ain't true, we're done. We're done. The fact that God is merciful is your only hope, my only hope. He is. He's extended mercy to us in Christ. And that's why as we receive that mercy and say, oh my, I don't deserve this, thank you, we extend mercy to others. Fathers of Jesus receive and extend mercy to others. Pure in heart, 
It's not perfection, but it's a, a mind and desires and a will that by God's grace is, is full of integrity to live before God by God's grace. By God's grace. And we will see God himself. Peacemakers. Romans 12 says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live at peace with all people. So far as it depends on you. You've been reconciled to the God of the universe. Peace has been established between God and you by the gospel. And now we are ministers of reconciliation, bringing peace to others' lives through the gospel. That's what we do. We diffuse tense moments. We bring peace. Those were persecuted, he says. The prophets were persecuted. Jesus was persecuted. Go figure. He's saying, hey, as disciples of Jesus, you will suffer and be persecuted. That's reality. So we read of difficulties there in history of the church. Today, church around the world, there are places, there are people who are suffering persecution. If you want to know more, check out persecution.com, website of the voice of the martyrs, tracking these things. And he says, rejoice. Rejoice? Man, the Bible. I mean, read the Bible and just see. That does not fit. But he says, why? For your reward is great in heaven. Jesus suffered for the joy that was set before him. He calls followers, go figure, to follow him in that way too. And know there's a kingdom that awaits I can do this with joy. So friends, these verses you see on the screen before me are just countercultural realities. They're distinctive marks of the believer. It's a picture of salvation and the Spirit of God working in the lives of disciples of Jesus. We, we embody these qualities here, and we may be persecuted, and as we live in these ways, we're going to be salt and light in the world. We'll see here in just a moment. But I want to ask before we move on here, do our values look more like this list or the list we saw earlier that the world has of blessing? Man, I, I wrestle with this. I think we all should. Do we gladly embody the kinds of qualities expressed here or are we given over to the lies of the world that money and sex and power and domination and being known, man, that's where it's at. Those are realities we've got to recognize. Idols that can creep into our own hearts. So I would encourage you, this week, get a pen and some paper and take your time and write out these verses. And think about them. And pray and say, God, help me to embrace these qualities here. Talk about them in your ABF, in your small group. Pray over them and say, God, help me to see what blessing really is in your kingdom. And help me to live in that way and gladly embrace it. One thing I would say to this too is this. If you, man, you're, you're in this room and you're living in this way. You're seeing these qualities increasing in your life and you still look and say man i don't feel like i'm gaining in this world i'm not getting ahead like those people in the world are 
Uh, I'm just not seeing all that I would like to see, and that's hard to have sometimes. Can I just say to you, be patient. The kingdom of God is not yet fully here, and one day it will be, and when it comes, Jesus will. He will do all the results that he names off in these verses for his people who embody these qualities. Believe that, friends. Believe that's true and live in that kind of a way. That's the way of the kingdom of God. That's the way of the gospel. That's why I'm saying in this room, children, middle school students, high school students, adults in this room, the call is to follow Jesus. And this is what it looks like. Turn from sin and embrace the gospel and let's follow Jesus together. That's the call. If you don't know Jesus here today, man, today's the day to forsake sin, forget that, and follow Jesus and embrace him by faith. That's the call on our lives. Then second, believers function as salt and light in the world. Believers function as salt and light in the world. So he goes on in verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You're light of the world. A city set on the hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine for others so they may see your good deeds and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So two metaphors here. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. First one, salt of the earth. A lot of commentaries argue about this. Salt is a preservative. Salt enhances flavor. What did Jesus mean here by this? There's many uses of salt. Look, I think his point is, salt is salty. And if it became unsalty, how helpful would that salt be? Uh, Not very. The idea is salt... Salt doesn't become unsalty. If salt is unsalty, that's unhelpful salt to me. He's saying this. Unsalty salt is as unlikely as a hidden disciple of Jesus. That's what he's saying here. A hidden disciple of Jesus would be as unhelpful and unlikely as unsalty salt. We're light of, the, light of the world. So as salt is by nature salty, light is by nature light. Thank you, Jeremy. You're welcome. You're welcome. That's what I'm here for. Um, you don't turn a light on your house and say, there's the light. And you have a box. Thank you. Put that right over the top of the lamp. Perfect. No one does that. That'd be a waste of electricity right? You light a lamp to get light. You don't put a box over it. Salt is salty. That's what he's saying. A a disciple of Jesus wouldn't be hidden away like salt is salty and light is light. Disciple of Jesus, they're known for these things. That's who they are. I I, I officiated a wedding this summer, and we got uh, the groom's family gave us a big glass jar of this salt mixture that they put together and they, they love, I guess. So they gave it to us. We're not a big salt family, the Kimballs. We're just, we're not. And, uh, but we've used this in eggs and other things recently, and I can testify, it's salty. Uh, we were a few years back in Kentucky, 
at Mammoth Cave. Went on a two-hour tour, massive cave. And we're down there deep halfway through, and the guy says, okay, I'm going to turn off all the lights so you can see just how dark it is down here. I'm like, well, I would guess it's dark. Um, but he turned them all off, and I, it was. Like, you put your hand right, like, right here, and nothing. Just, just total pitch black. Well, that lasted for a good, like, 15 seconds. Because uh, someone in the younger demographic uh, decided it'd be fun to pull out their cell phone and turn on their light. Just for kicks, you know. So they pulled it out and turned it on. And I know my eyes did. I'm guessing of those 30 people, that light came on and all of us just... It's turned because it's so dark and all of a sudden this light comes on you're just drawn. Whoa, there's, it's just so different. That's called Christianity. You're in a dark world. You, li- you live in these ways. You speak in these ways. You share gospel truth. Light in the dark. Salt, enhancing flavor, whatever. It's a, salty salt. That's who we are. That's who we are. That's what Jesus is saying here. You would be that... Jesus' disciples are called by Jesus to be a particular kind of people with a certain character on a specific mission. That's the idea. So friends, we don't want to be hidden disciples. We want to be salty salt and lit up light. That's what we want to be in this world. Going about our lives in a way that speaks to in our actions and our words the gospel and the greatness of God. That we're going to love God and the gospel, and so we're going to speak about and live out God and gospel truths. We're going to do those things readily there and take advantage of times to do that. Uh, so, I mean, examples. When we go to restaurants. Let's embody kingdom values and speak gospel truth. I talked to my friend Byron Shear at first service today. I love Byron. He's so helpful to me. And I was just saying, you know, at, at restaurants, I want to make sure I know the first name of my server. Why? They're human beings. I want to treat them as such. Talk to them, even get to know them. And Byron said, hey, one better. You ready? I'm like, hit me. Well, yeah. He says, when, when we go to restaurants, we get the food, and we always pray before we eat the meal, and he always says, hey, we're about to pray. How can we pray for you? And, and he's like, Jeremy, I've had just conversations that would blow your mind. Servers saying this, that, and the other. And I'm like, man, that's, that's people... That is low-hanging fruit. That's easy to do. And to say, we can be salt and light in that kind of a way, in our demeanor and our talk there. As co-workers, as bosses, recreation, sports, vacation, all these arenas. Like, being a disciple of Jesus never shuts up. I'm on vacation, so I'm kind of done with that beatitude thing for a while. No, uh, no. no, it never turns off. We're always kingdom citizens at work, at home in the neighborhood, with our kids, wherever we're doing that. Speaking of kids, we saw some child dedications today. Parents, grandparents, we're called to be salt and light in our families. Are you, are, am I, are we embodying these qualities? Are we speaking gospel truths to our, our families? I can, I'm just telling you right now, it's just, confession time. I can teach the Bible to my family in a given hour in the evening on a weekday and then play spike ball in the backyard with a terrible attitude and think that makes no sense at all and have to repent to my family, which is a really important thing for us to do, parents, is repent. Let me, let me ask some uncomfortable questions here if I, if I can. 
Are we shining Christ, parents, grandparents, in the lives of our kids and grandkids by the things that we watch or listen to or by our activities as a family or how we respond to things? Are we valuing other things more than Jesus? And that shows very clearly and distinctly to our kids. Let me ask this. What shows up in our values to our children when we miss assembling with God's people regularly for sports? What shows up for our values when we miss assembling with God's people regularly for weekend getaways? I want to just say to us, all those choices, all those words, all those moments, tell our kids what we love and value. The opportunities for us to be kingdom citizens. We've heard today from a couple who will be going overseas and to recognize, wow, uh, they're going to be salt and light. Interesting. Maybe God's calling me to be salt and light somewhere else besides this place or maybe in this town. He's called me to be more intentional in that kind of a way as well. So short term or long term, however it looks, just want to be those kinds of people. And look, I'm not trying to induce guilt unnecessarily. I'm trying to say, listen, what a privilege it is to be kingdom citizens and remind us this is the call in our lives and it's a beautiful and a glorious and a joy-filled call. So again, this main, main point here, disciples of Jesus are truly blessed and give hope to the world. And so I, I just want to tell us, friends, as we, we close here, that the Beatitudes show us a vision of life that is beautiful and countercultural. Will we embrace it? The call to be salt and light is a call to make the gospel known in word and deed. It's a beautiful call. Will we walk in those ways and follow Jesus' kingdom citizens. Father, I pray for your grace in that, that way, that we would be able to walk consistently, wholeheartedly, joyfully as your people. We, we know we're going to fall short of these things that we see here, but Lord, what a privilege it is to be your people and to have this call in our lives as we follow Jesus. I pray that this church would continue to shine, and God, that we would recognize how great you are making your name known here, in this country, and in the nations. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.